Well, dear friends, I'll ask you now to please turn your very prayerful attention to those words that I read to you in your hearing there at the close of chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians, and then on into chapter 10. We come to chapter 10 this evening of 1 Corinthians, and I read just once again those words, those words beginning there in verse 24 of chapter 9, just to set the context. You must remember that as we come to this epistle, that there were in the original absolutely no chapter divisions. Sometimes they can be helpful. No verses, no chapter divisions. We don't want to break up the original context in which everything is given. So it's always important to go back to context. And the Apostle Paul here in 1 Corinthians 9 is exhorting the Corinthians how he himself strives against his own flesh, as it were, the old man, to make sure that even after he has preached to others, he doesn't fall, he runs so as to attain, he fights, he buffets even his own body, as it were, and keeps it into subjection so that he is not a castaway after he has done all of his preaching. He prays that his life will be as a great witness to others and that he will not be rendered useless or a castaway in terms of the Lord's service in the churches. So that's really the context. So let's read verse 24 of chapter 9. He says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown. Here he's speaking chiefly of the athletic games, and there were at least four of them in his day. But we, an incorruptible, that crown which the Lord shall give us, he speaks concerning to Timothy, doesn't he? I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. But with many of them, God was not well pleased. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were for our ensamples or examples, that to the intent we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted, and so on. And we're told, while many of them all had these things passed through the Red Sea, all drank from that spiritual rock which was Christ, all 
et of the manna. They're speaking of the people in the Old Testament during the time of the Exodus. And as they went in to later cross the Red Sea, all drank and experienced these things, the mighty things of God. And yet God was not pleased with them all. God was greatly displeased. And therefore, well over 660,000 men, all the men apart from two men in Israel, Joshua and Caleb, did not enter the promised land. For the next 40 years, men would die in the wilderness. They would perish. God would raise up another generation, however, after that, and they alone would enter. Now, it's quite striking, isn't it? Here, Paul, he uses this figure, and these things, what took place, these things are written for our learning, for our example, that we might not follow in the same way as they did. Now, remember, Paul, he has been speaking about the various liberty that he has in Christ, how he is to serve. He doesn't use his liberty as an occasion to the flesh, he, as he said, he, he buffets his body. He uses two figures, doesn't he, there? The first is that of a runner. So I run, so as to obtain. And then he uses the figure of a pugilist or a boxer. But he doesn't spar the air. He buffets his body. He brings every member of his body, of course, every member of our body, has been bought by Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God lives in us now as Christians. And we, as we're told in Romans 6, are therefore not to let sin reign in our mortal bodies. Why? Because the Spirit of Christ is in us. And it is not God glorifying to let sin have dominion over us. We must have and we can and we must reckon ourselves dead to sin and alive unto God. And we can, by the Spirit, put to death those lusts, those lusts that many even struggle with. Here in, as we read in chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians. Now, of course, the whole context, Paul is writing to a very proudful church. Remember how this church boasted in its many gifts and even boasted in its preachers. Many were not taking heed. There was a factious spirit in the church. There were all kinds of problems. We, we read of sin that was not being dealt with. Remember chapter 5. How they were not dealing with a brother that was sinning. And took his father's wife. More than likely his stepmother. The church... There were even in the church those taking one another to the law courts. And that's never to be so with a Christian, particularly if you're in church membership and in fellowship with a brother. These things ought to be dealt with within the church. It's shameful they were bringing their dirty laundry, as it were, into the law courts of the world. Many of them, sadly, even using their liberty knowing that even there is one God and they could eat any meat. And yet, no doubt, there were 
Gentiles who understood that. But even maybe those who understood that there is one God. That it was wrong to offend another brother who was weaker in the faith. Who did not understand that you could eat any meat now. Even meat offered up to idols. The liberty that we are given in Jesus Christ is for the good of other believers. It's for the glory of God, isn't it? God has not called us to serve ourselves, but to serve Him and to serve the body of Christ. That's true agape love. That is true love that we are to have for the brethren, serving one another and loving one another, forgiving one another, even as Christ has forgiven us. That's the true bride of Christ. Now Paul even says, remember at the close of chapter 9, how he kept under his body, that is, every manner of sin, every temptation, and not even using his God-given liberty at any time he liked. Remember what he said to the Jew, he became a Jew. He was sensitive to the conscience of the Jew. He didn't mean he became as it were in the, the world's eyes today, all things to all men, flipping and flopping and changing like the wind, you know, being worldly. He didn't mean that. But to the Gentile, he became a Gentile. He was, maybe wasn't used to eating pork, I'm sure as a Jew before, but now he is free in Christ. And even his personal preferences, he put aside for the sake to witness to others. And you see, it's, a, it's all about serving Christ. And here's, here's the thing. If we are serving Christ, and if we're under him, we are not going to be pushing ourselves forward. We're not going to be pushing our own will forward in our life. The Lord has saved us to be servants of the living God. He saved us to serve him. That's really the Christian life, isn't it? And to glorify him and to know him and to be free. And the Christian is so free that he is able to overcome all sin. But we are not to be brought into the bondage of this world. Now many were brought out of Egypt as slaves, but were in bondage to the things of Egypt, as we will see. In bondage to sin. Has Christ so set us free? Well, if we're free, we're free indeed. But as we will see this evening, we must take heed, lest we fall. There is in the Christian what we call remaining sin. Sin has not been totally eradicated. But sin will not reign. It will sometimes raise up its ugly head, but we must subdue sin. Sin remains, and we must never forget that. And we will take heed of the words tonight. Take heed, let any, lest any man think he stand. Take heed, lest he fall. Yes, we are free in Christ, but we must watch and we must pray against all temptation.
So we come here tonight to chapter 10. And what Paul does actually in chapter 10, he's given his example. He uses an analogy there in chapter 9 as a runner and then as a boxer. But not a boxer that just spars the air, but he's, he's buffeting, as it were, his body. Not literally beating his body, but he's bringing his body into subjection. Not letting our lusts, not letting our eyes wander, not letting our hands and our feet wander. Those lusts of the flesh, but bringing everything into control and taking heed. Now, in chapter 10, what he will do, he will give us the literal example of those who displeased God. And we'll see here in chapter 10 how the Lord brought these Israelites out of Egypt. And of course, many of them were not regenerate. And that's an example. Of course, you know, not, not even church membership, uh, not even baptism as we'll see. And not even partaking at the Lord's table, as we will see. They all drank of Christ. They all were baptized into Moses. That is, they went into the Red Sea. They submitted. Remember when the Lord commanded Moses to take the rod and the sea was divided. They submitted themselves into going to the Red Sea. But they perished on the other side. They entered, as it were, into that water. It was dry land. They came out the other side. They even drank of a rock that never ceased to flow water. They saw tremendous things. But many of them perished. And what Paul is going to do, and you'll see, we'll see in the next chapters here, he will touch on two ordinances here. Beginning to touch on them here, and you'll see this evening, that we can even be partakers of those. And those in themselves do not guarantee salvation. They are symbols, merely, of salvation. If we truly receive them and use them to the right end, as we will think about this evening, over 660,000 men age 20 and over, who murmured and sinned. They all saw the pillar of cloud. They saw the mighty wonders of God. And yet they did not see the promised land. Only two men, age 20 and over, saw the promised land, as I said, Joshua and Caleb. Now, what we have in chapter 10 really is a great exhortation here to Christians, to those who are truly like Joshua and Caleb. For us Christians to take heed, as I said, to ourselves, lest we fall. There is a, a very severe warning here not to take confidence in things, even things we've seen, even things we might do for the Lord's sake, even baptism, even drinking, the Lord's table. Take heed. Even of past experience. Oh, they all went through the Red Sea. And that 
was an obedient act. Remember? Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And that took great courage. Think of it as the Red Sea was parted. They had a choice. Either to go back to Pharaoh and his army. Or to go in. And what was in? Two mighty columns of water. We don't know how high. It must have been a frightening thing. Yes, it was dry land, but it was also obedience. And as we'll see tonight, baptism is called the answer of a good conscience. There's an obedience in baptism. Baptism signifies that we have died and arisen in Christ. And there is also an obedience in that. But there can also be a confidence in baptism itself. And you and I thinking that we, we're safe because we've been baptized or we've, we've drunk the Lord's table and the cup. Now it's interesting. If you look at chapter 10, many have noted this. In the first few verses, verses 1 to 5, there are five alls. You see them there? Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all, again, passed through the sea and were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. So there's five alls there. And then there's a big but, as it were. But many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. So despite what they all had and enjoyed, can you imagine seeing that pillar of cloud by day? And that pillar of cloud by night, that unmistakable presence of Almighty God. Could you imagine seeing well over 5,000 tons, and we've worked it out, of manna falling down for 40 years in the wilderness? And the psalmist says they ate angels' food. And we're told that their shoes never wore out. Their clothes never wore out. A whole of 40 years. The mighty things they saw, the water continually following them by that rock. But with many of them, God was not well pleased. These great privileges that they had. So there are five alls there. And then moreover, you notice there are five sins also mentioned. Five lusts, look at them in verse 6 to 10. There's the lusting after evil things, the revelry. Now they rose up to eat and drink and to play. Idolatry, we're told, fornication, murmuring against God. That's what they did. They murmured against Moses, but ultimately they were murmuring against the God who delivered them by Moses. And then we're told and tempted God. Now, there's also something else. It may not be readily apparent to you, but there, 
the two ordinances, and this is quite striking, are mentioned here. The ordinance of baptism and the ordinance of the Lord's Supper or the drinking of Christ. And really what Paul is doing is he is, he is gearing up to speak about this, those two ordinances, in chapter 11. He will speak about the Lord's Supper. And then he will speak about baptism in chapter 12. Two ordinances. And they, they experienced a figure of, of the ordinance of baptism. Of course, they went into the to the water, and they did it, as it were, obediently. They went down, but they didn't actually go in the water. This is a picture of death. Could you imagine? Quite a frightening thing. You've got Pharaoh's army behind you. What are you going to do? Or go in the water. The great big columns of water. Fearful thing. If you turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21, we, we read how... Now, baptism, let me say, first of all, speaks of many things. And this is why baptism is done by somebody with a conscience. You hear what I'm saying? Now, if you're a baby, you've got no conscience. Conscience not awaked. So this proves here in the first place, baptism is for believers. Those who confess their sin, believe, be baptized. Now notice, 1 Peter 3.21, the like figure, whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. Now notice, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. So baptism doesn't wash away the dirtiness of the flesh, if you like, or sin. See what Peter's saying? But the answer of a good conscience. You have obeyed. Your conscience has been answered or answers the commandment. But the answer of a good conscience. So the conscience says what? What did the Lord Jesus say in Mark 16, 16? Well, he reminds us, doesn't he? He says, believe and be baptized. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. It's the answer of a good conscience. Galatians 3, we're told, whosoever has been baptized into Christ has put on Christ. He's a new man. He's put on the Lord Jesus. He's a saved soul. It's the answer of a good conscience. Believe and be baptized. That's why we, we do not baptize infants or children. Because the scriptures are very, very clear. Remember how the Pharisees came, and even others, wanting to be baptized. And the Lord said, or rather John said, Go forth and bear fruit worthy or meet with repentance. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? So it is a new man who repents that is to be baptized. Anyway, we come. What is he going to say here? He's speaking here of, you notice in the verse 1, I would not 
have you that you should be ignorant? He says, I don't want you to be unaware of this. These things, these five alls, all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses. So there's the first figure. And he's going to speak about it very soon in chapter 12. And then he speaks of the second figure. And by the way, the order is very important. Baptism first, then the Lord's Supper. They all drank, we read, of Christ. They all drank. Look at verse 4. And did all drink the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. You see, you can even have these figures of these, and here in a, in a very dim way do we see these two figures prefigured of what was to come. Christ, the substance. It's very clear, even the Lord Jesus, we would rightly say, he baptized before he instituted the ordinance of the Lord's table, didn't he? Now, there's a great inconsistency even in churches today. They have people come to the Lord's table even before baptism, and that's very wrong. The first is initiatory. Baptism is a once thing. The Lord's table, this Deal ye as oft as ye eat and drink, ye do remember the Lord's death till he come again. The other we continue to do until he comes again. But even, you see, with those two ordinances, my friends, people take confidence and don't take heed. Now, they are called ordinances. You notice I didn't say sacraments. The word sacrament is not in the Greek. Sacramento in the Latin is not in the Greek. Paul, he will tell us in chapter 11, notice what he says. He speaks about the ordinance. Verse 2, Now I praise you, brethren, you do remember me in all things and keep the ordinances. He's going to speak in chapter 11 of the ordinance of what? The Lord's table. Chapter 12, baptism. So he's really moving in that direction. And what he is saying to us now is take heed. May have all these privileges and, and these symbols. But that's not enough. Not enough. Baptism, here in the Old Testament, is a picture of obedience. Now, of course, baptism means a whole lot more. Paul says in Romans 6, buried with him in baptism, raised with him in newness of life. As you go down in the water, it's a picture of the, the old self dying, coming out of the water, raised in newness of life. That's the real picture, isn't it? Now, there were people, remember Simon Magus, even Simon Magus was baptized by Philip. 
And then soon it was figured out that something was wrong with that man. He wasn't saved. No such thing as baptismal regeneration, my friend. If that was true, Simon Magus would have been a different man. Baptism doesn't save you. The man on the cross wasn't baptized. But it is a figure. Well, he couldn't. He was, he was on the cross. He was dying. But it is a figure of those who have been changed and are raised in newness of life. So we'll think on these things now as we come to these texts. You see how he's moving in that direction. Chapter 11, verse 2, he says, Keep the ordinances as I delivered them unto you. And then in chapter 10, verse 16, notice I said that he speaks of the Lord's table and how they, those people in the Old Testament drank of Christ. But notice verse 16, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. And Paul will go on to speak about both of those, as I said, in chapter 11 and chapter 12. He'll speak about the ordinance of baptism in chapter 12, verse 13. He says, for by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. The person that's baptized into Christ, the body is Christ. And uh, you put into that body by Christ, but then it's seen, isn't it, by the outward baptism, by the figure. And there's uh, a warning. Think of even, I mentioned Simon Magus. He was baptized. And uh, what did Peter say to him when he came along after Philip had baptized him and he wanted to use the gift of the Holy Spirit. He asked for the gift. And Peter had to come and say to him in Acts 8, 21, Thy heart is not right in the sight of God. And he said, Thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. He was still an unsaved man. He wasn't saved. So the ordinances don't ensure salvation. Think of Judas as well. It's believed Judas was baptized, as were the other disciples. But that didn't ensure his salvation. So we must totally reject this foolish idea of baptismal regeneration. It's, it's the doctrines of devil, dear friend. Now, I want you to notice with me, as we continue now, look at verse 1. Let's begin with all these alls. In verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant of this. In other words, don't forget this, you Christians. Now, let me just pause for a moment. Salvation cannot be lost. The Lord Jesus said, All that the Father gives me shall come to me, and he that comes to me I shall in no wise cast out. He said, none can pluck them from my hand or the Father's. 
I give them eternal life. He said, they, they shall never perish. But remember what he said to those same disciples. If thy right eye cause thee to offend, pluck it out. If thy right hand. The children of God are always, always, always kept by the warnings. They will heed. Firstly, because they love God. And they're so thankful. And the word is a means of sanctification. And a means by us being kept. Let's never, let's never forget that. What Paul says elsewhere in Hebrews chapter 6, he says, But brethren, we are persuaded better things of you. Formerly he, was spoke, he spoke of those who fell away. But he said, we are persuaded things better things of you, things that accompany salvation. If you have salvation, you have certain things, and you'll be taking heed to this word right now. Your mind won't be switched off. You'll be holding on. This is the word. This is the word of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Not one of Christ's sheep will be lost. Because we read in Hebrews, he will say, Here am I, and all the children that thou hast given me. That's what he'll cry. We read in Isaiah, He shall see the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied. If one of the elect are lost, my friend, the Son of God would have died in vain. But the true will listen. They will heed. Now, as we come to this verse, I just need to put that in first. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant of this. You've got to know the facts. And here it is. The reprobate, or those who are not the Lord's, will always fall away. Remember what John said. They went out from among us because they were not of us. That's the reason. Remember in John 6 what the Lord Jesus said. You don't hear my voice because you're not my sheep. Those who are the goats will not hear. They will not prize the word. All the Lord's people are taught by his spirit. Now, he says, Moreover, brethren, verse 1, I would not that ye should be ignorant. Ignorant of this. What? How that all our fathers were under the cloud. When he speaks of the fathers, he speaks of the, those that have gone before. The people that left Egypt. They were all under the cloud. What cloud? Well, first of all, you remember after the ten plagues, there was that pillar of cloud by day, which turned to a pillar of cloud by night, a fire by night. You just turn to Numbers 9, 15. We read, and on the day, Numbers 9, 15, that the tabernacle was reared up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, namely the tent of the testimony, and as even... There was upon the tabernacle 
as it were, the appearance of fire until the morning. So it was always the cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. And even as they traveled, and even as they, they went through the Red Sea, that when we read the crossing, the Lord in his presence went and was in that pillar, even as they passed through. That must have been something spectacular to see. That fire over it, unmistakable, was the presence of God. And yet, when they got across the other side, and Pharaoh's army was destroyed, and all the chariot wheels fell off in the sea as Pharaoh was chasing, God folded up the waters again. And every single one of Pharaoh's army, including Pharaoh, was destroyed. We're told in the Psalms that even Pharaoh was destroyed. And yet, they saw this magnificent feature of fire and cloud by day, God's unmistakable presence, and yet they, they perished because they sinned against God. You can have all the signs, my friend. That's not enough. It's not enough. In Exodus 33, 9, we read, And it came to pass, as Moses entered into the tabernacle, the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked with Moses. Even then, remember, as even as he came out, his face shone. And they saw the, the presence of God. And how many occasions did they see God's presence? And then we read, Here's the second wall, and all passed through the sea. Every single one of them. They all saw it as they walked through. We don't know. It must have been, they reckon, a couple of miles across, walking through this massive tunnel of water. And yet, they get across the other side. And they see the Egyptians destroyed, and they join together and they sing the song of Moses and the Lamb. It's not long after they get to the water of Mirabah. They begin to murmur and complain. And then from sin to sin, seeing God's mighty miracles, seeing all the ten plagues even, in Egypt, they all saw how they were spared, how the Egyptians weren't. They saw the power of God, and yet they even murmured against God. And thirdly, all were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. As I said, that figure there of baptism is not that these people were born again, that they were regenerate. No. But there was obedience as they went in there. And you see, you can even obey in terms of baptism, and that still won't, you can, as it were, rest on your laurels of past obedience. That's going to hold you in no good stead for tomorrow. I was faithful last year, Lord. I think I'll be okay this year. 
I was faithful in doing this. My friend, every day of our life, we have to take heed. I cannot rest on yesterday or last week's exploits for the Lord. I'm weak every day. And I have to call to God for grace every day. Remember how Moses said there in Exodus 14, 13, and Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand and still and see the salvation of the Lord. And we read how Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord caused the sea to go back. Everybody saw that, my friend. Can't imagine it. But that is not enough. We come to church some people want some great experience. You know, you can even see somebody being born again. Don't think that that is going to keep you. People look for some experience. If I could just have this, see this, see that. That won't keep you. You have to take heed to inward sin. It's there, isn't it? Something else, notice, and all did verse Three, this is the fourth, all, did eat the same spiritual meat. What was that? Manna from heaven every day. It says spiritual meat. Yes, it was. It was from heaven. An omer a day for over a million people. And we worked that out. That's over 5,000 ton of manna every day that fell. Even that's not enough. You can see the wonders of things. That's not enough. And remember, even they complained. We're sick of this. But that food, let me tell you, there was every nutrient in that food necessary for them. We're told it was angels' food. Psalm 78, 23. Though he had commanded the clouds from above and opened the doors of heaven and had rained down manna upon them to eat, he had given them the corn of heaven. And when we read, man did eat angels' food. He sent them meat to the full. That was even after they complained. They had this angels' food and they said, we're sick of it. And we want the leeks and we want the meat and we want everything back from Egypt. He said, okay, I'll give it to you. And they said, well, you can't give it to us. Well, God did. He brought quail and they were knee-deep for miles, for miles in quail, until they were sick of it. Give us the manna again, please. God knows what we need. And we're told in Deuteronomy 8, 3, He humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger, that is, He made them to feel their need and fed them with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know. Now notice the reason there, that he might make thee to know that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. In other words, you need to start to learn to trust in God's word. 
That's what God was saying. Trust me, that was the problem. The problem wasn't the manna. The problem wasn't even the quails. The problem was they weren't trusting God. And this is often our problem, isn't it? The heart, we often misjudge God, don't we? What's he doing? Well, far better than you and I may ever think. Sometimes we sing, do not judge God with feeble sense. We often do. What are your trials right now? Live by the word of God. Don't trust your senses. You look around, you might be like Job. I look to the left, I look to the right, I look behind, I look ahead. I can't see him. But Job had to say, he knows the way that I take. After he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. That's faith. But not many were like that. Not many were like that. Now notice something else. And all did drink the same spiritual drink. What is that drink? It is, we're told. For they drank all of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. This is why he's going to later on talk about the Lord's table. And you can even, he has to remind the Corinthians, examine yourself as you take. Because you, you know you can take in a very careless way. And remember what happened the first time they needed water. The Lord said to Moses, go to Horeb and, and strike the rock. And he struck it. Exodus 17, 5. And the Lord said unto Moses, go on before the people and take with thee of the elders. It wasn't done in a secret. The elders were taken with Moses so they could witness something. And thy rod, wherewith thou smotest the river. You smote the river with it, remember? And the river was parted. Take in thine hand and go. Behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb. And thou shalt smite the rock. And there shall come water out of it. The people may drink. And the elders witnessed it. Never seen before. The rock was struck. Water flowed out of it. Well over a million people drank. What happened afterward? Well, the people continued to grumble and complain. And Moses, one day, he just lost it with the people. We can understand, in a sense, always grumbling. We're told there was no man like Moses, so patient, so meek. Never was a man like Moses. And yet, it reminds us, every man has his threshold. And because of what Moses did, we are told he could not enter into the promised land. What did he do? When the people asked for water again, what did the Lord say? The Lord said, go and speak to the rock. Numbers 20. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take the rod, and gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron, and thy brother, and speak ye unto the rock before their eyes. Now bear in mind, the rock's been struck once. And that rock is Christ. 
But what did Moses do? The people are grumbling, they're complaining, so what does he do? In anger, he strikes the rock. And God condemns him. Why? That rock was Christ. And there was a wonderful opportunity missed that Moses missed. And what was it? All Moses had to do was speak to the rock. The rock that was struck once, struck for sinners. And let me say, Christ was struck once. He doesn't need to be struck again. We don't need the mass. He doesn't die again and again and again and again, but he died once, once for sinners. Moses lost that opportunity. And we are told, the Lord said to him, because ye believe me not, to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore, he's speaking to Moses, ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. Christ was struck once. And what does he say? Now he's been struck for us. Ask in my name. Faith in Christ, isn't it? That's the lesson. Faith in the rock. They drank of that same spiritual rock, says Paul. And now notice, but with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the witness. What's the problem? The problem is, you see, man was not living by the word of God alone. Man was not watching and praying against sin. And this is what Paul is exhorting these proud Corinthians with. You boast in your gifts in all that you have, but don't you know you are weak? If any man thinks he stand, take heed. My friend, a Christian is only today as strong as he is in prayer and reading his Bible. That's a simple message from God's Word. We fall, we stumble. You can take pride in the ordinance, a baptism, and the, and the Lord's Supper. These things are wonderful things, but they speak of Christ. They don't confer. Does baptism confer salvation? No. It speaks of salvation. What does the Lord's table do? It does not confer salvation, but it speaks of it. And it's a means by which we strengthen our souls. They are called ordinances. Again, not sacraments. I despise that word. The word sacramento in the Latin has the idea of a mystery. Something mysterious taking place. The bread does not become the body of Christ. When Christ took the, the bread, he said, 
well, he was holding it with his body. This is my body. It was a symbol of his body. This is my blood, yeah, but the blood was running through his veins. But it was in the cup. But he was saying, I'm going to give myself for you. That I will never leave you, nor forsake you. I am your help. I am your strength. I am your all in all. Don't trust in those things. Those symbols merely prefigure all that I have done for my people. You can do nothing without me, he said. But as Paul said, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Friends, we're weak. But thank God, Paul could say, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Will we learn to be weak in self? Would we overcome sin by Christ? What did Paul say in Romans 7? Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ, he said. You see, the problem with these men, what they were seeing in these figures, they did not mix with faith. Time does not permit that I could encourage you to read Hebrews, end of Hebrews 3 and beginning of Hebrews 4, where it says, let us therefore fear, in Hebrews 4, 1, lest the promise being left us of not entering into his rest, that's heaven, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us, it says, was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. And he's been speaking about Moses, he's been speaking about Aaron, he's been speaking about the people in the Old Testament. He said the gospel was also preached to them. How? By those figures, by those things. But the word preached did not profit them not being mixed with faith in them which heard it. You see, faith shows one thing, two things, friends. It shows our weakness. It shows our sinfulness. But it shows God's strength and God's goodness in Jesus Christ. What's he doing? My friends, he's taking us through the wilderness of this Egypt to a better world to Emmanuel's land. But we better see our weakness. We better stand fast in Christ. Let us use the means of baptism. It's a wonderful picture of what Christ has done. We, we died. And you can, you can look back on your baptism and say, I was once that, but God has raised me to newness of life in Christ. And that is always before the Lord's table. And then those that were baptized, we're told in Acts 2, were added to the church so that they could vote, so that they could exercise discipline in the church rightfully, so they could appoint pastors and elders and teachers and deacons, and the church could be established. And then we read, those who were added to the church broke bread. The church is a wonderful, wonderful body. 
It is the body of Christ. The body of his people, which he purchased. May God build us up in our faith. May God strengthen us in Christ. For his name's sake. Amen.